Hello and welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the professor and my co-hosts are Debbie Boy and the DJ. Hello, how are you going? Uh, I, I've got 10 bents uh, that are voice and size we use this episode. I reckon the odds on that are good. Mm-hmm. Someone's been playing around with one. I'm just having too much fun. Uh, right. There we go. DJ okay. is alive. I He's thought alive. he must have been running See, off I to was, get his synth. I was placing money whether or not you'll open up using the voice synthesizer. It's fine. <laughs> You didn't do it. I'm disappointed, honestly. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. It's just you, you just don't know when you will least expect. Oh, oh so I'll be surprised and get a heart attack when you do. All right. <laughs> Damn it, DJ. We're going to have to go find another co-host again, aren't we? Ah. Oh. How could you do this? Yeah, don't, don't kill this one off. You know how much of a pain that is. <laughs> So you're up first, DJ. What have you got for us? So we are going to be seeing a documentary about a video game. Ooh, what video game? One of the greatest um, sports video games ever ever made. NBA Jam. Wow! <laughs> wow, the enthusiasm is so overwhelming. <laughs> I mean, granted, it is a very long-running franchise, but I mean... Actually, I see why I'm making a documentary over it. One, long-running franchise. Two, it already has an audience because it's NBA, right? Come on, NBA Jam. Who hasn't played NBA Jam here? I'm pretty sure I haven't. I haven't. Not even with an emulator? Not even with an emulator. It probably helps that it's almost as old as I am. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was... 25 years ago, so... Yeah. Pretty much. So, um... Best Cross Studio is the production arm of the uh, basketball-themed social media platform Best Crosses. Uh, are planning to use, um, are planning to make an NBA Jam documentary about the, and this will talk about the history and the success of the game. So it will be, it'll be, it'll be di- directed by uh, Sean Menard, and this, and he's been in a couple of sports documentaries, including the acclaimed The Carter Effect about the now retired Vince Carter. And uh, the book, which they're basing it on, was uh, released in October 2019. It's built on extensive research and dozens of original interviews with developers, journalists, fans, and NBA players. Can I just point out, I was looking for information on this game. And the 1994 version, there's um, a couple of different versions. 93 NBA Jam, 94 NBA Jam Tournament Edition, and then a couple of console releases. Oh, yeah. They've just upgraded uh, NBA Jam Tournament Edition. Well, some, someone made a mod, actually. I thought this might have been official. <laughs> it's um, He's added the teams from the 2020 and 2021 uh, rosters into it. Whoa. Yeah. Including uh, Barry Allen and Johnny Cage. <laughs> Johnny Cage. Yeah, it's just a bit of a meme there. Is this guy... I think this guy's been doing it for years now because um, the related articles are for a couple of other years that have come that has been done for. But uh, so that's uh, that's saying something about its popularity, then. Yeah, oh, this this game ha- um, has had many greats among its fans, like for example, Michael Jordan, uh, Patrick Ewing. Shaq had te- Shaq has teammates over to play NBA Jam in the arcade back in the day. Back in the day. Back in the day. So um, the director's basically quoted, when NBA Jam hit the arcade, I was barely tall enough to reach a joystick and view the screen at the same time. While literally standing on my toes, I was completely immersed in in a game that allowed me to create the freedom to perform out-of-this-world feats of athleticism. This was during a tipping point for the NBA as the league was bursting with excitement and culture that was appealing to a younger fan base. And let's be honest, we're gamers, so we're not going to be doing any of that in real life. (laughs) (laughs) Mind you, though, like this was around the time when Space Jam was a thing. Yeah, still waiting for that sequel. (laughs) (laughs) It is is coming out, Professor. It is coming out. I do love that the Space Jam website is basically the same as it was in the 90s. In fact, I wonder if they've even bothered updating it to protect against cross-site scripting. Are you true? They did take it right down that. for a while, but then they put it back. <laughs> no, I don't think they'll update it. No, I reckon I'll update it. It's for the memes, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they might update it, but um, I think they'll just, they'll, they'll just wait for the right time when the space when the sequel comes out and be like, oh, yeah, now's a good time to update it. 
That's true. Yeah, I hope they keep the original there, though. Like, make a second website, spacejam2.com or something. Mm. Mm. And just keep the original as a little time capsule. Yeah. 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 That'd be good. I'll, I'll say that would be good. Mm. So um, the director also says there are various sub- subplots in, in this uh, movie that would detail how gaming was transitioned from arcades to home entertainment and how it would eventually lead to the demise of Midway, uh, the no, company. old Midway. But uh, do you reckon this idea, though, of like game, like game documentaries becoming a tired and tired documentary genre? What do you What do you mean? In what way? I mean, like we've seen the uh, Mar- the um, good old Mario, um, no, not Mario, Donkey Kong. Good old do- there was a documentary about the Donkey Kong games and how um, two Donkey Kong speedrunners were fighting against each other. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a dying genre all over and play like me. You look to historical events like Romans, 9-11, they're probably, obviously coronavirus will be, there's, there's hundreds and thousands of, doc- well, you know, hundreds of thousands, but, you know, there's at least a good 5,000 documentaries and stuff around them, right? So yeah. I think gaming doesn't, well, do games in general don't really documentaries, like, compared to those other selections. Like, I know, top ahead, indie game movie, you've had quite a few retro, you know, history video games, documentaries. Um, so I think... I think it still has room to expand. Interestingly, interestingly though, there there have been some uh, recent documentaries in relation with um, esports. Oh, yeah, there was um, there was one called "My Name Is Total Biscuit: The Life and Times of John Bain." Oh, uh, Breaking Point, free to pl- uh, free to play. That was a that was an interesting one. That came out in 2011. Uh, state of play and even um the other even today i saw um a recent documentary from the youtuber name of the the right opinion called um talking about the um the free hunt the freeman is it yeah hunt down the freeman well there's a lot of low budget documentaries made by youtubers definitely i mean there are some amazing to be like put on tv or at least in theaters or anything because that's sort of, um, well, not even TV, but I think there's a difference in caliber between having your work released on YouTube for free and having it on a service mm. like Netflix. I think the only YouTuber I'll say would be, who only released on YouTube, but would his documentaries would be of a, uh, what do you, you know, a TV quality would be Let Me Know, uh, who used to be top 10 memes. Like his, his production value is astonishing, just one guy. Yeah, Tom Scott too. I reckon you yeah, could Tom put um, like his videos are short, but you could put a Tom Scott video on um, ABC. Used to have five minute, ten minute, fifteen minute, whatever shows to fill blocks where a show only goes for forty five minutes, mm. just to round out the hour. Yeah, I'll say also maybe Cabinet Illusion because uh, not really documentary or kids TV in a way. Like it's. Again, like his quality, like his YouTube is doing amazing quality stuff. Whereas, whereas it just do um stuff. <laughs> not, not to mention our, our good old friend, um, in the historian. <laughs> yeah. So, who's the uh, director behind this documentary? The uh, director behind this is Sean Menard. Okay, I found him on IMDb. I'm assuming. <laughs> time to search. Time to find out. Time to stalk. <laughs> And I like this guy. Um, the I liked the um one of the people involved in this movie saying that this documentary will not be will not only be a trip down memory lane for older audiences, but will reveal to a younger generation how it all started with a gaming industry today worth many billions of dollars. Not wrong. Yeah, yeah. So this guy is responsible for a couple of dozen different um different things. Actually, mm-hmm. no, there's a lot of duplicates. So it's more like just the uh. Just a dozen things. What's his most popular? Um, I just sort by that. His highest rated is Fight Mum, which is oh. about a MMA fighter balancing life between being a mother and professional fighting. That sounds pretty interesting. No wonder it's pretty popular, yeah. Yeah, so he's done, most of them are about sports. Most sports. sports so a couple about UFC, uh, a baseball team, basketball player. So he's got the sports side down. Mm. Does he have the game side down? That's the question, isn't it? I'm sure he does. Yeah, uh, yeah that's the que- that'd be an interesting idea, though. I mean, a sports. Der- I mean, NBA Jam. It does. It, it's 
two worlds and it's mixing two worlds. So it's going to be an interesting concept because NBA Jam is a video game and a sports game. So which side is he going to be heavily? It's going to be a tough balance to follow. Um, which side is he going to weigh heavily on? Is it going to be the sports side or is it going to be the video game side? They're going to be probably leaning more to sports. But I mean, give it on until you, until you watch it, eh? Yeah. I was assuming he'd be targeting gamers because of his comment about showing kids where where games came from. True. Hmm. Well, I want to find out how to watch it, I guess, when it comes out, eh? Although I might. Yeah, I agree with I, I agree with you guys on that one. Yeah. I mean, as we as we said earlier on, the um, the games aspect, the games in the nineties were the birth was the birth of of sports games exploding to what it is now. You mean horribly, um, horribly overpriced microtransaction filled buggy piles of garbage? Yep. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yep. Yeah, not sure that's something I'd be bragging about, but okay. <laughs> so, do you know when it's going to be released? Uh, not sure when it will be released, but hopefully soon. Hopefully. Okay. And you asked us if we've played, but I didn't hear your answer. Have you? Yeah, I have. Uh, during All the right, night. Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sunday. Oh, Sunday. Oh, no. <laughs> Back in my day, the Nintendo ah! 64 was the greatest thing on the planet. To be clear, that's not the voice modifier. That's just how annoying he sounds in real exactly life. Exactly right. <laughs> uh, do, uh, unless if you guys want to put, make me put the Bernie Sanders voice. How did you know I was looking at photos of the memes today at their inauguration? Jesus. <laughs> that was quite canny. It's about the only thing that's been on Reddit all day. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. My fellow Americans. Yeah, you can't do it that well. Nah, I can't, nah. <laughs> Politicians really shouldn't carry pieces of paper. <laughs> it's way too exploitable. Not to mention the mittens they carry, the, they use to carry that pieces of paper. Come on, the mittens are very cute. <laughs> yeah, those are nice mittens. They're handmade as well. Like, come on, don't rag the mittens, please. <laughs> yeah, so, that, so they've... We've got that exploitable shot of Bernie carrying the paper. There's the famous one of Michelle Obama holding the sign. And then the top, top one in multiple ways. There's another Bernie one with him in the uh, council. It has a big whiteboard, if I remember correctly. And then, yeah, there's the uh, multiple Trump ones from every part of the last four years. Well, I, it I helps think the ones some of the photos on- of Trump were actually taken with blank pieces of paper. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I have no washing out. I just... Throw on a green screen right now, and you're good to go. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I remember fairly early on, he did a photo shoot with a pile of documents on his desk, mm. but uh, one of the folders was open, and you could see it's just blank. <laughs> and that's uh, is what the internet does best. Can we get Bernie Sanders added to the next NBA game as the secret character? <laughs> oh, my God, yes, please. <laughs> Politician well, ball. No, no, imagine Fallout 76, you get the Bernie Sanders um, NPC. Just a wasteland. Well, <laughs> for most of the elections of the last few years, many a true nerd has done the Worms election predictor. Oh, yeah? Where he programs in um, politician names as characters and worms and then sets them all to AI and makes them fight to the death. <laughs> Who won last? Who won um, last year's? He didn't do one for the um, latest American election, but the 2016 election. I'm pretty sure it accurately predicted the winner, which is a bit scary because its accuracy is like pretty close to that octopus, the one that they Wait, used to you- use to predict the uh, the sports. Oh yeah, Paul the octopus. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, we're getting way off topic. So, yep. Yep. But uh- speaking of information. <laughs> I was trying to do that one earlier when we were talking about the paper, but missed the opportunity. Uh. What were you saying, DJ? I was going to say, um, I was going to segue that too, but I kind of lost my thought. Yeah. So we've spoken about data being stored in DNA before, but this is a new way of doing it that lets you use free range bacteria. Actually, no, presumably it's grown in the lab. But previously, you create the bacteria from scratch to contain the genetic code that you want. In this case, uh, Columbia University uh, staff, Harris Swang and his colleagues, have created E. coli bacteria. And when you zap them with electricity, their genomes change and you can store data in them. They have so far stored 
the phrase hello world, which is a common programming test pattern, the bacteria actually carry that on to further generations. And in the, in the full paper, they point out that they've so far managed to store 72 bits of data. Not bytes, bits. That's a bit less than 10 bytes of data. Sorry. Yeah. So how, how many, how, how many uh, GIFs would that be? Not many. So we're talking bits of data. That's like the smallest possible unit of data in a binary computer. It's one electrical on-off signal. I mean, that's a huge step in terms of nanotechnology and microbiology. It is. And, you know, this is in early days. Hopefully they'll uh, proceed further. But 72 bits in Hello World and 72 bits. uh, Is that what encoding would they have used? Because I'm pretty sure ASCII wouldn't work. Yeah, so one ASCII character is 8 bits. So you'd only be able to store 10 characters in... uh, well, not even 10 characters in this DNA. Now, they have stored Hello World, including an exclamation mark, which by my count comes to 11 characters. So either my maths is off or something else is going on. But that's the, the scales we're talking about, 10 characters in an E. coli. But the E. coli self-replicates, protects the data, repairs it, preserves it, and you can still read it even if you mix your data with other bacteria. Imagine but, someday uh, someone stores in the Holy Bible into the bacteria and it gets mixed in with, with other sources of information. Be like, and then the Lord create, created 5.37 million. Wait, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be a while before you can fit a book of that caliber in there. Right now we've got two words, so <laughs> several orders of magnitude out. <laughs> What I want to know, though, I had an idea the other night. Do you guys know the book Johnny Mnemonic? Uh, seen the movie. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes, there is a movie. Yeah, so he stores people's information in his brain for later retrieval. I bet you could load up somebody's DNA. Like, once they improve this a bit, you could probably do it to their skin or something. That Something they're not going to miss too much if it mutates horribly. Or maybe even inject them with the E. coli. For some reason, it reminds me of that game um, Prototype, yeah, where, so you just absor- you- where you just absorb some- someone, um, the monster absorbs someone and retains their memories and whatnot. And, work. and also completely breaks the laws of physics. <laughs> yeah. Not the not the absorbing people thing. I'm fine with that. But the bit where absorbing people doesn't increase his physical mass until he wants it to, and then he's like, "Surprise! My arm is a hammer." That's not how density works. <laughs> oh come on! It's just a computer game. <laughs> so they have also been working on a barcoded array. That, so what's fun? They're calling this drives. Dr. Like, all capitals D-R-I-V-E-S for uh, data recording in vivo by electrical stimulation. But they are working on arrays which are multiplexed so that you can increase the amount of data you're storing by spreading it across multiple uh, cells. So now we have E. coli bacteria in RAID. Wait, so this is gonna this is gonna be interesting. Imagine a uh, bacteria as your next as uh, the next USB drives. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Inject um, your messenger with bacteria. No one can find it. He gets to the the site, has his blood taken or whatever. They decode the bacteria and bam, there's your, your message. <laughs> this will make information smuggling a new, t- take it to a new level. Well, what sort of data would you uh, embed in your DNA? Oh, okay. If, it, if this was a corporate espionage thing, um, ooh. So I know, choice maybe, here. Choice. maybe the uh, maybe the pin numbers of everyone's uh, computers or uh, I can um, give you a list. I have everybody in the world's pin number. I can give what? you a list of it. <laughs> you what? I'm not kidding. I have a list of everybody's pin. All right. First entry zero 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 zero. The second oh, entry zero 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 one. So you're saying you get your bank account details embedded in your DNA. Oh, or your driver's license or... Yeah, that would be good for identifying, like, missing people when, you know, a toenail turns up. Not wrong. I mean, that's what you... Yeah, you use it for already. 
DNA identification. Yeah, yeah. I mean, dental records was always the bit was always the thing the thing to go to if it was a to identify a missing person and whatnot. I mean, nowadays well, people are getting smart. That's an an older method though. Now uh, you can use DNA, which is more reliable because the chances yeah. of a DNA match are very slim. Yeah. The problem being if the DNA is degraded uh, because of these storage conditions. But DNA by itself has a half-life of about 500 years, which is why we will never see dinosaurs brought back to life because uh, too much time has passed. Oh, unless if they do what, what happened in Jurassic Park. Fill in the gaps. Yeah. The thing is, though, it's been so long. Like, 500 years is how long it takes for half of your sample to decay. So in a thousand years, you only have a quarter of your sample left mm. and so on and so forth. So by now, there is really nothing left to find. Do you reckon that would be the same case in, in, with this uh, sort of information um, storage, though? Eventually, yes. But they, um, they do point it out in the paper that it is an option for ridiculously long data storage. And they can. Um, they did notice that the the data stored in their barcoded population experiment was stable for sixty generations. It'd also be actually funny though. Imagine um, storing in your university assignment. <laughs> yeah, you could do that. Hand in your thesis on storing data in bacteria in the bacteria you stored it in. <laughs> Just draw it out from your blood like, uh, all right, first drop, that's the introduction. The second drop, that's the, uh, yeah, that's so the abstract. You, the problem is 60 generations isn't all that long uh, just for culture bacteria. So according to uh, the textbook of bacteriology, E. coli will... Gener- it has a 15 to 20 minute generation time in the lab. Well, that also depends on if, um, on what type of, are they going to use PCR or not though? Um, well, that's possibly part of it. I haven't seen that in the paper, oh. but PCR isn't, um, all it's cracked up to be. You can only recover data that's still there. And they said, like, this is their test that they've done that they start noticing corruption after 60 generations. But anyway, what I was trying to get back to, um, DNA has a half-life of 500 years. And have you heard about the projects to develop a warning system to tell people, stay the F away from nuclear waste for far in the future? No. Okay, so how do you tell someone who's going to be born in a thousand years to stay away from a particular area? Oh, you put... Thousands of giant spikes in a place in the middle of the desert. That's actually, yeah, one of the um, warnings I've talked about. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Debbie Boy gets a gold star. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's definitely not that I've seen this article five times before. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, um, good thought experiment and something the uh, Long Now Foundation should look into. I love the diagram. It's like, ooh, <laughs> tick, tick, uh-oh, everyone dies. Yes. Or- so you could use, like, it would take an advanced civilization to actually decode the DNA, but mm. I wonder if you could use that as a warning to mark these sites. I mean, it would take a whole lot of chance, a whole lot of variables for that to happen, though. That's the problem. What what information will survive long enough to warn people in the far future and still be interpretable? We can't guarantee that people in a thousand years will speak English. Huh. In fact, if you go and read the Canterbury Tales, you're not going to get anywhere because it's not written in what we we would call English. Who knows? Maybe a thousand years from now, mumble rappers would still be rapping. <laughs> but no one can understand them anyway, so... <laughs> Yo, yo, don't go down here to the dead, dead little mole. You got that. That's terrible. <laughs> Mumble wrap the sandier uh, warning. <laughs> this place is not a message and part of a system of messages. Sorry, this place is a message and part of a system of messages. Pay attention to it. Sending this message was, was important to us. We considered ourselves to be a powerful culture. This place is not a place of honor. No highly esteemed deed is commemorated here. Nothing valued is here. What is here was dangerous and repulsive to us. This message is a warning about danger, and so on and so forth. 
maybe this, maybe mumble rapping will be how we communicate in a thousand years. <laughs> but, yes. It'd be like, yo, 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 what's up, my man? How's it going, my man? It'd be like, oh, great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, it, uh, that reminded me of um, Star Trek when they, when Chatner goes back in time and they. <laughs> And this, and I think it's Shatner and Spock sitting opposite um, some guy like swearing, and Shatner didn't like it. He's like, "What is all this swearing? We grew from this." Yeah. So I asked DJ Devi, but what is your? What would you encode into your DNA? Hmm, that's a good one. I don't know. Obviously, you know, a dandy and things, which we already is really kind of already in there. Um, hacking powers. Cat DNA, cat, you know, cat girl. Cat girl. <laughs> it has to be text. <laughs> Damn it. Um, yes, because this is a an ASCII encoding, so. So I can't get my genetic modifier. Um, I don't know. Let me think. Because, I mean, DJ has already said most of the stuff I'll agree with, like, you know, security, credit card, um, maybe car keys. <laughs> get a get a finger prick yeah. to unlock your car. No, it's gonna like you're getting then. like diabetes tested. Yeah. <laughs> Please take any blood to operate. The vampire cars. Vampire cars. Oh, you know what's gonna be also interesting now that you, now that you guys mentioned that. Can you imagine being a uh, politician and every time ter- every time you give the same like sort of information to the next president like nuclear codes can be embedded into your DNA and then as soon as your term ends it'll be like alright give it to the next guy interesting that kind of reminds me of um, a thought experiment about how to stop the president using the nuclear button because he's uh, grumpy and the idea was for him to have a friend who would go with him everywhere who would have the key to the nuclear football embedded in his chest (laughs) <laughs> and the nuclear football would be equipped with a knife. So when it's time to launch the nukes, you first have to murder your best friend, take oh. the key, and then fire. Oh. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, I mean, I know that tests. I mean, it works, but at the same time, it's like, oof. Well, it's not actually done, but, True. yeah, it's a really interesting right, sorry, well, experiment. Well, nukes, just got to do a little stabby stabby. Yep, before you kill millions, you must kill one. What is it, that line from Spock, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few? Yep, which if you're using nuclear weapons, you'd better have a really good reason. But we are digressing so far. Yep. Where have we gone? What's the rabbit hole we're down now? Nuclear weapons. uh, But on the topic of nuclear weapons, it ties back to to nuclear energy. Oh. Which... Ties back to energy use. Segway, how's your energy bill looking? I don't have one, so uh, one of you two. Lucky. <laughs> uh, it's higher at the moment because it's summer and I like being not dead, so I run the air conditioner. Uh, <laughs> you dead, man. Turn the aircon off. What are you doing? Save the planet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you, I try to be so, responsible. Wow, such a big spender has the air conditioning. Ooh, la di da. Hey, I'm like you. I have a full time job. <laughs> hey, I, I have a I have a ceiling fan. Ooh, much more fans. cheaper than air conditioning, and much more effective than air conditioning. What are you guys ripping about? We have fans. Like we have wow. thousands of fans all around the world, <laughs> and they do much more better jobs than air conditioners. Well, you're wrong, but okay. Anyway, <laughs> the new generation consoles can drill more than two hundred watts when being used. Holy shit! Yeah, you're not wrong. That's about right. Meanwhile, I'm here with my computer with the 800-watt power supply, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, not that it, um, you know, it'll only hit that when you absolutely peg it. Yes, of course. But, um... Uh, wait, does your um computer have overclocking as well? No, I'm not overclocked at the moment. I used to, but uh, I don't really feel the need anymore. My current chips are fast enough for me. Mm. <laughs> but um, the U.S. Natural Resources Defense Council has published a report about the next-gen consoles. And normally I'd dismiss this as just uh, bloody kids whining, but, um, you know, just say, okay, boomer. (laughs) But I didn't realize how much more power these ones were using compared to the old ones. And when set at the lowest power setting and in sleep mode, the consoles draw less than a watt. Okay, that's about right. Which is actually pretty good for 
energy efficiency for an always-on appliance. Yeah. But, but this also includes disabling features like instant on. Oh, with instant on enabled. Yeah. So not that have consoles ever really taken that long to boot up? I, have, I mean, not really. I mean, the PlayStation 4 has a very um, fast booting up speed. Yeah, so in the report, actually, they um, do actually point out that Instant On only saves 5 to 10 seconds. But based on the modeling, this could use uh, 500 megawatt of power every year. Oh. Yeah, so that's one whole large coal-burning power plant. That and sounds- adding up to across all Xbox owners in the US, a total of a billion dollars on their electricity bills. And American power is dirt cheap compared to here. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. I, mm. I, I, I picked up an interesting article here. Um, energy use of in t- with the old gaming consoles with a PS3. It uses 1.1 watts on standby mode and 189 watts during gameplay. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's all in this full report. But uh, they also point out that the device draws 10 to 25, well, the consoles draw 10 to 25 times more power than a dedicated streaming device like Apple TV or Roku. Um, And they urge, they say they repeatedly urge Sony and Microsoft to include a low power video playback chip, which that's an interesting, from a game dev perspective, if you could know that you had a video decoding chip and offload your cutscenes and stuff to that. But anyway, the um, DJ, I really hope you haven't just found another site copying the source I've given you. Okay, good, you haven't. Yes, that's uh, last gen. Well, a couple of gens ago now, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, did they, uh, they wrote the report, did they uh, look into which what, what type of games they were playing just to estimate the uh, power high power consumptions and whatnot, or is it just... Every uh, game is going to be picking, making no. this insane amount of power. And- no, because a modern computer chip will only draw the power it needs to run a particular program, and they will intelligently adjust their clock speed to reduce power consumption. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's pretty good, eh? Yeah. I'm not aware of that being around for forever. So, you know, your 20-year-old PC is probably less efficient at adjusting to mm. different... Um, use cases and also less efficient because newer PCs have better quality uh, capacitors and stuff. Hmm. But um, there's a lot of work done to reduce the power usage of devices. I would like to see the power consumption when each consoles play crisis on the, how, how much power consumption was in that one. Yeah. Hmm. So crisis is going to use a lot more power than say binding of Isaac even though Binding of Isaac is written in a much more inefficient programming language. So that's what makes benchmarking power use tricky because it all depends on your use case, really. But there are things that we know as sort of general rules of thumb, something to um, keep in mind when designing your computer or entertainment setup. And it turns out there's you know, significant power savings by using a Roku or other device than by using your console to stream. And uh, so... Yeah, I mean, that makes sense when you think about it, like, when you get down to it, like, it's like, you know, running a gaming PC just to watch YouTube videos. It's like, yeah, but also, nah. Yeah, it'll clock down to use less power, but it's still going to use more power than watching the same video on your phone. Exactly. That's one reason why I'm excited for the M1. It's a closed source chip, but it is ridiculously power efficient compared to uh, equivalent chips. And I'm not usually into Apple, but I'm excited to see what their high end uh, Apple chips are, just because I want to see the comparison to, you know, the high end Intel and AMD. But here we go. I have found in the report a comparison on different games. So um, on the PS5, NHL 2021, which is a PS4 game, drew between 80 and 104 watts. Uh, and actually, it says, depending on your ability and the TV's resolution, <laughs> I don't know if it's playing well using more power. Like, if you play terribly, does the AI dumb itself down and save power? <laughs> Probably not. Un- 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 unless, you, un- un- unless you're a player from China. 
because you know they always say they have better computers. I mean, they do. Um, but on the PS5 playing Astro's Playhouse, it maxes out over 200 watts. Oh, and same for the Series X, uh, Series S. Sorry, they only tested the Series S. Most of the games that they tested were 50 to you know in the 50s. And they didn't use the Series X, but CNET reports 200 watts playing the latest games. You know what's also going to be interesting? Every, um, a lot of co- a lot of people are, and companies have been putting a lot of emphasis on ray tracing, and from what I've gathered, that it's a very labor-intensive process for the computers to try and adapt, trying to enable ray tracing. So yeah, yeah. so ray tracing has been around for. Decades. Yeah, it's, it was but, back on the eight, like mid eighties. Even before yeah. that, they're doing restoration. You Plus. can actually go back and find like there are modern attempts at it, but there are also early attempts at ray tracing, which the modern stuff's much better running on mm. the old consoles. But um, because people have more experience, but exactly. now but, Nvidia has started putting dedicated hardware in their graphics cards to do ray tracing, which means more games can use it on the fly. Since when gaming, you need to do the same for the scene 60 times a second. If you're doing a movie, you can afford to wait a few minutes for your frame since movies are all pre-computed. Exactly, yeah. But one thing this is, I've thought about this for a while, but one thing this has reminded me of is uh, while I was restoring a friend's uh, Atari, I found out that it the whole thing runs off got a weird input voltage like 14 volts and then it knocks that down to nine volts for the uh, internals but uh sort of makes me wonder how how much better would power power usage be if we focused on efficient use of the tools we have so i'm not going to say python is bad because python is amazing but it is (laughs) it's slow (laughs) and inefficient compared to Uh, solid bad yeah and <laughs> there are people doing benchmarks that compare the power usage of different languages and compilers are actually better at compiling to assembly than an assembly programmer. Yeah, I could say that. Yeah, so it's all set up so that you can... Uh, so Python is a great accessibility tool and really makes prototyping and pr- developing so much easier. But mm-hmm. I can't help but wonder where we would be if instead of throwing more CPU at the problem. We were stuck with the CPUs of 20 years ago and just made more efficient code. (laughs) Which is sort of the idea behind the demo scene. I was never really into it until Debbie introduced me to it a few weeks ago. Oh, no, what have you done? What have I done? You've done bad things, Debbie. (laughs) Please explain your adventures. I have been corrupted. (laughs) What have you you done, Debbie, boy? What have you done, Professor How 3D video playback <laughs> on an 8-bit chip. I have seen the light. <laughs> oh, no, what have I done to you? It's nuts. And it's not it something is. the average person could pull off. No. <laughs> Just mad people running 3D graphics on, like, you know, a uh, Sega Genesis. And then it's like, what is this on an Atari? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, hey, can you imagine that being that that type of knowledge being stored in um in DNA? <laughs> we need more John Carmacks. <laughs> John Carmack is basically Neo. He doesn't see the world; he sees the code. But um, back to the uh, topic of the uh, power consumption. Uh, I I would say with your question about where would the where, where would the world be? It, we we would never know. But I don't know. Maybe. Co- Maybe um, we should have more emphasis on coding in, in, with this kind of thing. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to have a, a group who looks for ways to code more efficiently and to more efficiently use the tech we have. Uh, I have a question for you both um, game developers. Does this sort of situation, does this sort of um, scenario um hinder your progress when it comes to um, game making and stuff saying like oh if we um, if we cut back on the graphics with this uh, this might be environmentally friendly and I don't want I don't want people's computers to blow up in the process 
it's not something I've ever thought about really. But for the most part, apart from big stylistic changes like 2D versus 3D, most of the difference that would matter is on the engine level. And most indie game devs don't make their own engine. Yeah, pretty much. Like, it's be up to the companies that manage the engine to change things over before it's never happened. Like, it, game developers themselves wouldn't really get too much into that. And some of this goes really deep into computer science, which doesn't have a whole lot of overlap with uh, making the games. You'd want a good computer scientist to help you optimize your uh, engine, but your average dev doesn't doesn't know a lick of it. <laughs> Binary? What? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but um, moving on, on the topic of game development, what have mm-hmm. you got for us, Debbie? So, there's been some news in the game world space. I'll try and make this English for you gamers, I guess. <laughs> uh, so, Game Maker is, apart from the very generic name, is a game engine which I use, many others use to make games, um, such as Hotline Miami, Undertale, and a few others made inside it. Uh, Hyperlife Drifter, another one. Uh, recently, it's been acquired by uh, the Opera developers, Opera web, web developers, um, which is very interesting news. Came literally left field. Uh, for- if you don't know who the Opera web browser people are, don't worry, because nobody uses Opera. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so... Here we go. They've got less than 3% browser share worldwide. Oh, ouch. <laughs> oh. Wait, wait, how, many, how, how about Safari? Um, Safari will be near the top. I think, from memory, it's Chrome, Firefox, uh, Safari. Sounded right. Oh no, apparently it's the other way around. It's, um, Chrome at 63%, Safari at 20%, Firefox at less than 4%. Oh! Yeah. I use Firefox because I like being different. (laughs) (laughs) Although, mind you, with Opera, they, last year, they developed a game browser called Opera GX. (laughs) <laughs> wondering what market share that is. Yeah, I remember that now. It yeah, was a browser optimized for gamers. <laughs> it has typing sounds when you hit key. Mini gamer. <laughs> yeah, and aren't they now owned by a Russian company or something? Uh, Chinese company. Chinese, that's it. <laughs> yeah, uh, and Linus Tech Tips did a review of that. From what yeah, I remember, yeah. the change wasn't really anything worth writing home about. It has jagged lines and keystroke sounds with boom boom. Mm, gamer. Yeah, so why did they buy uh, Yo-Yo games? Apparently not much of a reason so far. They haven't really re- it's only been um, found through the community forums and stuff. Um, as of right now, we don't really have a solid understanding of why it's just being acquired, uh, which is you know, a little weird, considering usually there's a bit of information out there. Um, yeah, I mean... Our best bets are trying to push more web development stuff, perhaps. Yeah, so something we hypothesized about earlier is that they'll wrap this into their browser and make sort of flash that only works on their browser. <laughs> so it's actual gamer feel. Which would be a terrible idea because you've only got four uh, percent, like three percent market share. Nobody's going to switch to your browser to use Game Maker. Unless they uh, exclusively make the next Undertale. Uh, I don't tell real on it. You're right. <laughs> Undertale fans are pretty fanatical. <laughs> Although, mind you, like we were all saying, like, "Oh, Flash is dead. Flash is dead." Then they could go like, "Hey, Flash is technic. Even though Flash is technically dead." We can still play it on this lovely thing called the Opera GX. Oh, Flash is dead. Browser games aren't. Flash is one way of making browser games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but then browser games are... I, I, I always thought browser games were just a, a, an extension of mobile gaming. Uh, uh, you are aware of how much older browser games are than mobiles? Very old. old, yeah, <laughs> as old. yeah, significantly older than smartphones. Yeah, true, but now now we're seeing more like, yes, join this website. Like, you ever see those YouTube ads where, like, come and follow this game on, come and follow this browser game? Yeah, and usually they're really crap. Come on, don't rip on my Republic Clone Wars Commandos that much, guys. <laughs> you know, it shut down four years ago. Like- yeah, so there's a lot of interesting things they could be doing. Yeah, I mean, that's Nobody the thing. Many ways this new news got out wasn't official in its means. 
it was that the opera executives have gotten management positions on the forum boards. So obviously something's up. Uh, so it looks like rumors got out now acquired. So who knows at this point? But something's up. That's for sure. I'll be interested to find out what it is. I mean, hopefully they don't wreck it because. Uh, for all its issues, Game Maker is kind of beloved in the developer community. Yes, I believe Game Maker, Kadoos. I mean, it's up there with some of the most popular engines, uh, but obviously the big, the big boys is Unity and Unreal. Um, it's it's like everyone's it's like it's like everyone's first car. It's your first engine, right? So you're always gonna love it, even if it, you hate some features about it. Huh, yes, yeah, you won't realize how bad it is until you stop using it. Exactly right. You reckon they'll still carry the same the same name though, Game Maker? Or yeah. now they've been a, I mean, imagine if they go like Opera Game Maker. Well, <laughs> Opera is now just the the publisher, basically. Like uh, how Zenimax owns Bethesda. Mm. You don't hear about Zenimax's Elder Scrolls Six. You hear about Bethesda's Elder Scrolls Six. Makes sense. Yeah. So moving along, what nerdful thing have you done this week, DJ? Oh, I saw episode two of X Arm. Does it improve <laughs> compared to episode one? No, <laughs> it's got it, it. It's gotten weirder. Um, what was the uh, plot this time? Oh, so the the boy in the uh, in in the pot in the brain um, has now uh, has now joined an organize a, a police force. If you want to call it, um, to stop the X arms from falling into the, into the wrong hands, and this time it's basically a church, a radical church organization, trying to do suicide bombings. Okay, that's heavy. <laughs> uh, I get you funnier. Well, uh, 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 the, uh, the funny part is like the um, the verbal the so he's partnered up with a girl. Um, who, who? When you look at her, she's basically discount Ryoko from Kill La Kill, and also, and she, and he gets to, um, and he gets to borrow the the android body, who is a discount Ray from Evangelion. Oh, and the, and I've also realized something. The, uh, the the biggest, the funniest part about this entire series is a guy who who hates um, technology is using technology to defeat crime. Can't beat them, join them. <laughs> uh, and um, what, so what happened? So they, so basically he says, so basically the organization has said, okay, we have been cheated from, um, from, from get, getting these jobs. And so our demands is basically give us a part of your city or else we'll have a hundred suicide bombers. And so the police are all going out there with tranquilizer guns, trying to hunt down all, all these suicide bombers using heat signatures. This just reminds me of the prank where there's, um, you release three pigs into a building, labelled one, two, and four. <laughs> oh, still thing is four pigs is only three. <sighs> yeah. Oh, and, and the funniest bit was um, in, so in the climax, where, uh, so they're having this fight in the helicopter and the guy's about to do this gigantic crescendo moment. I am going to do this, going to kill myself this last stand. As he's about to do it, all of a sudden, a sniper rifle just goes out and just blasts him out of the wind, blasts him out of the helicopter. I'm like, oh, what the hell? Oh, spoilers. <laughs> yeah, oh, Jeez, yeah, spoilers. Man. But I was like, what the hell? I was expecting some gigantic, like, miraculous escape, but nope, that's... <laughs> That, 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 that Where was is like, the earth shattering kaboom? <laughs> yeah. It was like it, it was like Darth Vader and um and Luke Skywalker having that lightsaber duel in um, Return of the Jedi. But all of a sudden, Chewbacca comes out of nowhere and just shoots Darth Vader. That's how Probably it was. Would have been a better ending. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, so uh, but yeah, Episode Two is just so weird. Uh, I. I'll give that one a zero. <laughs> <laughs> Is that lower than your rating last week? Oh, uh, yeah. When I when I watched it again, yeah. <laughs> when I watched the first episode again, and I just went, "Oh, it's discount this discount characters," and the, and the, you get you meet a couple of um, new characters in the in the show who are supporting characters of in the police force, and it's basically discount female scientist who eats candy and a discount muscle man from Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> Okay, and what about you, Debbie? Uh, I've been playing Battlefront 2. Poor soul. 
no, seriously, I've been enjoying my time so much. <laughs> um, game literally has no reason. They've they cut all my transactions. Well, it's still there, but there's no need to purchase loot boxes anymore. They're like, 100%. Not linked to any progression or anything. I've been winning matches, like, second and third place multiple times without ever having to buy anything. Uh, and I'm, like, good 20 hours in. Um, it, it's super fun now. So, like, I think probably the best map is the maps uh, game mode called Supremacy. But basically, you've got two teams have to capture a flag, you know, the usual capture waypoints and stuff. Um, but then the thing is, depending on which team has captured the most points for a certain amount of time, they then you fly up into the enemy's base uh, starship and you have to destroy it from within. And, like, these matches can go for a good, like, hour and a half. Like, they're a long... If the battle goes to your starship, can you take it back to the ground? Yes. So it basically ends once one starships are destroyed. It fuels the enemy team. So if you guys keep going up into each other's starships and keep pushing the other team back out, it just keeps going until eventually one of them blows up. So you can literally be fighting. You got the most waypoints. You got to the enemy starship. They fight. They push you back down the ground. This time you fail, but they go up in your starship. But you push them back down the ground, and yeah, it just keeps going and on going and going until, like, usually it's go up to the starship and then blows up. Like, one team's weak than the other. But sometimes both teams are equally matched. Oh, you've got a hell of a great game. And, like, the sound effects, the, the graphics, like, it is still so good. How old is that game now? Uh, 2017. Three years old. Oh, my God, he did it. He actually finally did it. I've been waiting. Took him long enough. Right? What's at the end? Is now he comes out with the voice of Plaza. What can I say? I just love a good entrance. <laughs> Man, I right. sound like a lot You can vote in the comments. Should he keep this voice on all the time? Please say no. Actually, please say yes. Uh, could you just change it to... Do you have the musical voice there? Uh, you mean this one? Yeah. Let's <laughs> not use that one. Keep talking, keep talking, keep talking. Nah, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. So what What would you rate uh, Battlefront 2? Five out of five. The, okay, I'll quickly finish off my, my annoyances. One, uh, Yoda is a little simp. He is annoying as, because you kill <laughs> as well as BB-8. BB-8 as well. Because they're so small, you can never hit them, and they have till mass damage. So you see a little Yoda jumping around, and just pfft, 10 guys are dead. Uh, some maps are better than others, of course. Naboo is a terrible map, in my personal opinion. Like, it's just the way it's designed. It's beautiful, but it's just designed really weirdly. Because there's a lot of uh, just corridors, so it constantly... There's not really areas you can, like, stop and not say camp, camp but, like, get cover. Uh, if you really want to shoot somebody, you got to get out of cover to really get in their line of fire. So basically, you can't people constantly dying on stuff. Um, well, it's just breaking up a bit more with open areas and areas you can you know, hide and shoot behind. Um, now they have a remote into annoyances, I'll say. They still have diorama mode? Can't say I've tried that yet. Space battles. Do they have space battles like the original uh, Battlefront 2? Wait, there's an original Battlefront 2? Yeah. The one from like 15 years ago now. Uh, yeah. Okay. Oh, no, I got that one, that... you have proper space dogfighting. And then when you take down the enemy's shields, you land on their ship and can go in and battle them there. Or you can keep bombarding them from outside. Hmm. I gotta hand it to Dice though. I mean, they they were a good company to ha- to make uh, games like those. Are we all forgetting about the microtransactions and how uh, we probably yeah, never played this game because of the microtransactions? Man, no, that's what the game originally got fire for. But like, remember, it was the most downvoted post on Reddit. Yeah, but like they've removed all my transactions now, apart from loot boxes, and you don't need to really buy them. They only have cosmetic voice lines remaining. That's all they're in them now. Okay. Like, you do not have to pay for anything. There is, as I said, only things unlocked was cosmetic voice lines, not even skins so far. Just cosmetic voice, that's all it is. So, like, you don't, I don't even open, I've got like 20 there, I haven't even opened it, there's no point. So, yeah, highly recommend it. It's still, as recording, it's still free on Epic Game Store. So, sorry, my episode goes up, it won't be. Uh, but, been good. Okay, well, I've been playing the campaigns of the Master Chief Collection. Oh. I soloed Halo Reach the other day, and now I'm playing uh, <laughs> Halo 1 in co-op. <laughs> On heroic you? difficulty, not to brag. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, heroic, I think, is a pretty good difficulty level for that game. Yeah. 
but Master Chief Collection just has so many little things that bug me. Begin Why... the rant. Uh, sorry? Begin the rant. Okay. Why are the key bindings so different between all the games? Why oh. can I not have consistent key bindings? Because Bungie, not because three from three industries. Why are the default keyboard key bindings so bad? There's no scroll for weapon select. I had to map that manually. And I know you only carry two weapons at a time, but still. Then the there's the abysmal port of Halo 1. So one of the big issues is that um, with the original port of Halo 1 is that it's based on the work done by Gearbox back in 2001. And Gearbox bugged it up hard. The lighting and effects are oh, all broken. Yes, There's I've seen a video videos. on this. Yeah, you basically never have to use your torch anymore. Uh, they ruin the atmosphere of the first flood level. Mm, that's just lights. Yeah. Um, at least they fixed the sound and uh, input lag issues. It used to be that there were seconds of input lag for the second player in Halo 1. Mm-hmm. At least they fixed that, though. But it's been 10 years, so is it now time for Halo Anniversary Anniversary where they fix those issues? Please? Be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, because right now the only way to play Halo as it was originally made is on an original Xbox. And you've gone to all the trouble of re-releasing it on PC so people can play it there and including the compatibility mode. It's a one-button switch. You hit tab and switch back to the old graphics. So you've gone to all that trouble. Just finish the job. Oh, I wonder if with their US acquisition, whether Bethesda can fix that situation. <laughs> Halo 76. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it now that a, a new open world um, Halo, Halo um, Battle Royale. Oh, no, please. And that's not even counting all the little annoying things that are just weird but don't actually affect the gameplay like why is it that the aliens in halo one speak english but the ones in the other games don't true hey wait wait they never speak english English anymore no um they do in halo one but not in reach and i don't remember if they do in the other games i'm pretty sure they don't in halo 3 either but doesn't the paladin speak english yeah but not like not the combat dialogue so uh, when you're fighting enemies in Halo 1, the grunts will yell, he's coming for us, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But uh, in the later games, that switched to alien language. Hmm. But that doesn't make it any fun, because it's always fun. It's like, oh, he's coming for us, run for it. Ah! You know? Yeah. It's like, oh, like I'm pretty sure it only appears in co-op mode, where the grunts will scream, he's everywhere, hmm. because uh, you're two identical Master Chiefs. <laughs> oh, that's all pretty good. Yeah, so and I'd give it a probably around a four point one, four point two. Yeah, that's reasonable. It's solid. It's still fun to play. It's just disappointing that they came so close and didn't finish the job. So we'll have a quick ad break and then back to our weekly shoutouts. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So first off this week, we have signs of life from 22 trapped Chinese miners. On January 17th, the 22 miners were found uh, deep underground after being a week after being cut off by an explosion. The uh, rescuers have drilled down and received a note from the survivors telling them that there are 22 survivors and requesting food and medication. On the 16th of January 2021, uh, the Walt Disney Animation legend Dale Bayer passed away at 70. His first role at the company was as a trainee on Robin Hood. He worked on The Lion King, Fruit of the Princess and the Frog. He was supervising animator for Yzma and Al from Winnie the Pooh. His, His last known animation work is for Bob's Burgers the Movie. 
So that's a hell of a career going all the way from... When did Robin Hood come out? The early 90s? Yeah, yeah. 73. So all the way from 73 up till now. And on the 18th of January 2021, we have the 30th anniversary of White Fang starring Ethan Hawke. White Fang was an American Northern Northern Adventure uh, drama film directed by Randall Kleiser, starring Ethan Hawke, Klaus Maria Brander, and Mm -hmm. Seymour Castle. Based on Jack London's 1906 novel, it's a story of a friendship between a Klondike gold prospector and a wolf dog. In 2015, Ethan Hawke said that if he could teach an acting class, he would have people work with half-breed wolves. (laughs) He went out for six weeks where he had no job except to hang out with the wolves, walking them in the morning, feeding them, and getting to know them so their interaction would be authentic. On the 21st of January, 2021, we had the 40th anniversary of the DeLorean's first uh, DeLorean car. So on this date, 40 years ago, the very first DeLorean DMC-12 rolled off the line. In 1980, American Express advertised the DeLorean coated in 28-karat gold. 9,000 were made before uh, DMC filed for bankruptcy. And despite the being known for poor build quality and bad performance, it has a cult following, which is probably because of the the movie Back to the Future. And there are still six and a half thousand DeLoreans on the road, which is pretty impressive for a forty-year-old car. That's you know more than two thirds of them still going. Would you guys ever um, buy one? Nope. Pretty cool. I, they look cool, but trash to drive unless you change the engine. And the, yeah, the people who are making like they're making new old stock. DeLoreans, because they've come across a warehouse filled with original parts. Um, they're building them with newer engines and tech and stuff, and that might be interesting, but I wouldn't want to drive an original. No. Originals are basically giant moving walls of 20-ton steel. <laughs> if, you, if you run it rain into something, you'll be dead instantly. <laughs> hey, it's, not exactly, it's not like it's exactly had the good brakes or engine to actually stop you. <laughs> Crumple oh, zones? What are they? What? <laughs> you have a giant piece of aluminium. aluminium. Yeah, I can't imagine that would crumple well. Hmm. I mean, if you, your, your legs will crumple very well. <laughs> and your nose will crumple on the dashboard. <laughs> and grey matter will be gr- nicely fit. Uh, it will be a nice uh, covering on the road. Well, apparently, blood gives uh, steel a really nice patina. <laughs> We have gotten very dark. Yep. <laughs> Although, okay, mind you, though, like the the DeLorean, even though they they have this big cult following and bad build, I mean, they're a cool thing to have. Like, you, you it's it's like an it's like having an iPhone. Like, yes, the thing I, is, the thing is, no, everyone has iPhones. It's not like having an iPhone yeah. at all. But also, you got to keep in mind, this is a car the size of. A- Ah, it's a cool thing to have, yes, and if you use it, though. Yeah, although the Cybertruck has the same vibe, and I'm very happy about that. Oh, yeah. So, on to the remembrance. On the 18th of January, 1936, we have Rudyard Kipling, an English journalist, short story writer, poet, and novelist. He was born in India. His works include The Jungle Book, Kim, and an absolute boatload of short stories. In the 19th and early 20th centuries, he was among the UK's most popular writers. Henry James said, Kipling strikes me personally as the most complete man of genius, as distinct from fine intelligence, that I have ever known. In 1907, he received the Nobel Prize in Literature as the first English-language writer to receive it, and at 41, its youngest recipient to date. He was offered a British poet laureateship and a knighthood, but declined both. He died at 70 in Middlesex Hospital from a perforated duodenal ulcer. His death had previously been incorrectly announced in a magazine to which he wrote, I've just read that I am dead. Don't forget to delete me from your list of subscribers. <laughs> well, that's one way. <laughs> well, that's one way of saying. Um, <laughs> well, that's one way of saying you're not dead. <laughs> yeah, it's actually um, a really good movie about uh, World War One with him. It's called Our Boy Jack. So Rudyard Kipling had a son who was blind without his glasses, and he used his influence as a high-ranking member of society to get that overlooked so his son could join the army and fight in the war. And it's a really tragic movie about the kid going away to war and um, disappearing and them trying to find out what happened. Wow, I didn't know Daniel Radcliffe was in this movie. Yeah, he's great in it. Holy, that looks so weird. (laughs) Well, 
basically Harry Potter grew up and fought in the war. <laughs> uh, actually, now I'm pulling this up as a reference. Uh, the So there's a little bit of a mix up here. He wrote a poem called My Boy Jack about the youngest recipient of the Victorian Cross. <clears throat> His own son was never referred to as Jack, but... It's about the grief all parents felt losing sons in the war, although his own son did disappear in the Battle of Luz. So, yeah, a little bit um, mixing up the story in real life, but the movie is still really good. So for our famous birthday on the 18th of January 1933, we have Ray Dolby. Uh, you probably know of him better from the logo on every audio product ever. He was an American engineer and inventor of the Dolby NR noise reduction system. He helped develop the videotape recorder and founded Dolby Labs. He acted as a technical advisor to the UN in India until 1965, until he returned to England where he founded Dolby Labs with a staff of four. His first US patent was not filed until 1969, four years later. First film with Dolby Sound was A Clockwork Orange, and Callan, from 1974, three years after A Clockwork Orange, was the first film with a Dolby-encoded optical soundtrack. He was born in Portland, Oregon. And for our event of interest, we have the movie Creature with the Atom Brain, released on the 18th of January 1956 in France. Starred Richard Denning and Angela Stevens. And the plot is about an ex-Nazi mad scientist using radio-controlled atomic-powered zombies to help an exiled American gangster return to power. Now that's a sentence. It is. <laughs> it was one of the first films to use squibs to simulate gunshot wounds. Three years later, the director would release Invisible Invaders using the same concept, except in this case, aliens were inhabiting the corpses of humans. <laughs> he had a thing about zombies. <laughs> It's like James Cameron when he made the abyss with which contained large volumes of water, and then later on creates Titanic with the same concept. Yeah, James Cameron has water. a thing for water. <laughs> yeah. But that's all we have for tonight. You can find us on that'snotcanon.com, where you can also find the rest of the That's Not Canon family, including. Do you have one this week, DJ? Uh, some new, um, something about teenagers surviving the modern world through so with social media and whatnot. And what's the title of that one? Uh, I can't, I, I, I gotta find that now. <laughs> this is what happens when we don't prepare this segment. <laughs> <laughs> it is called Tay Lu. Yeah, Tay Lu. It's basically dissecting um, our social world and the unique experience of millennials. Okay, so that's all. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Hooroo. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.